Hey, I'm Jordan, that's Lauren, and welcome to the His Film, Her Movie podcast. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> to episode 13 of the His Film Her Movie podcast. Unlucky for some. Unlucky for some. Hopefully we'll get past it. Maybe. You never know. We might we might be hit by a comet. Okay, I was gonna be like say struck down with some sort of like illness next week, but hit by a comet's pretty final. Yeah, to be honest, yeah, the whole world ends and then this podcast ends because it's part of the world. Well that's really depressing. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Great. So we're all so we're all going to die, people. Really sorry about that. Jordan has is the new Nostradamus and has decided to tell everybody that we're going to die. There you are. Great. But if it doesn't happen, we get to episode fourteen next week. Yay. So what are we doing this week? This week we are doing Turn That Frown Upside Down. So we are doing films to get you out of a bad mood. Which I am never in. Never. Never. I'm always happy and positive. So I don't really need to do this one. But I picked a film anyways. Yeah. <laughs> just Sundays. Just Sunday, Just Sundays. Just, you know, when I have to wake up in the morning. <laughs> and I'm like, turn the light off, go away. Yeah, so if, you, if you're just tuning in for the first time, like we are a movie podcast where... Like today, we take very niche topics, yeah, and we both choose a film on it. Um, sometimes quite similar, and sometimes very different. And I think this week's going to be one that's very different. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think this week's quite different. Yeah. So, yeah. what did you choose? I picked the absolute belter, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yes, because it is. It just gets you out of a bad mood. It's great. The Robert Robert Zemeckis film. It is. His film. I'm pleased you said it first because I don't know how to say his second name. <laughs> and I chose um, Howard Hawke's 1940 film, His Girl Friday, starring Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. Yes. Very different to Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but we'll get into that, I'm sure. <laughs> and do you have any housekeeping that we need to go through? We've been a little bit quieter this week on social media because we were at Fringe. Yes, we were. And then you were working away. I was. Um, but this weekend, we are going to the Canetto Trilogy. Yes. In Penrith. Yeah. But it's not called the Cornetto Trilogy. It is called the Cone-Shaped Ice Cream Trilogy. Yes. So, for those of you who don't know... Those are the three Simon Pegg films. Yeah, Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright movies. That's it. Simon Pegg films for people yeah. like me. You don't know <laughs> who the other dude is. So Nick that Frost. means... Yeah, Nick Frost. Nick Frost. Edgar Wright directed them. Oh, okay. So we're going to be seeing um, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz and The World's End. Yes. So... Back to back. Back to back be having some drinks because for those of you who are not in the UK it is bank holiday weekend this weekend which means that we get Monday off work means we can drink alcohol on Sunday means we can drink alcohol on a Sunday and get a late train home or in our case the boozy bus because there will only be a bus back to Carlisle (laughs) 
and it's usually a bit of a messy one. Yeah. But this means that this will be my very first zombie film. Yeah. It, it, to be honest, it's, it's a good zombie movie. It's not scary, but there is zombies in it. You'll enjoy it. You do. I, I'm scared of, like, all zombies. <laughs> like, all zombies. You'll be fine. I'll be there making fun of you. Yeah. But I think we're going to be, we're going to try and do some videos of we will. probably me crying in the corner at zombies. We'll do something on, on the social medias. We might do a bit of a live stream, take some pictures. Could be a good idea. We'll but yes, yeah, but, but if you are in the Cumbria area, mm-hmm. it's definitely worth checking out. Um, three great movies and it's quite, for like 25 quid, so it's an entire day out. Yeah, um, if you have a little look. It's at uh, Barton's Yard in Penrith. All so right. they've converted a bar into a cinema. And then the tickets get you a drink and some food and an ice cream. Brilliant. Which, knowing Cumbrian weather, will be too cold to eat. <laughs> but after a few glasses of wine, I might be persuaded to mm. eat it. So I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure you won't need to be sure you No, not at all. <laughs> so we might as well get on to our first film, which... Yes. Should we do yours? No, let's do yours first. Should we want to do mine first? I'll get yours done first. Okay. Because mine's the best. So we should finish <laughs> on a strong one. All right, okay. <laughs> so, yes, I chose His Girl Friday. Walter, you're wonderful in a loathsome sort of way. Now, will you please be quiet just long enough for me to tell you what I came up here to say? I have a lunch date already. I cannot break you. Will you take your hands off me? What are you playing, osteopath? Temper, temper. Oh, listen, Walter. You are no longer my husband and no longer my boss. And you're not going to be my boss. What's that supposed to mean? Just what I say. You mean you're not coming back to work on the paper? You are right, Mr. Burns, for the first time today. Uh, uh, got a better offer, huh? You bet I've got a better All offer. All right, go on, take it, work for somebody else. That's the gratitude I get. Oh, I wish you'd What were you when panning. you came here five years ago? A little college girl from a school journalism. I took a doll-faced hick. Well, it wouldn't take me if I hadn't been doll-faced. Oh, why should I? I told you enough you'd have a face around here, man could look at, but I'd shudder it. Listen, Walter. Listen, I made a great reporter out of you, Hildy, but you won't be half as good on any other paper, and you know it. We're I a team. That's what we are. You need me, and I need you, and the paper needs both so yeah, that was a clip from His Girl Friday, the, the Howard Hawke movie. The Howard Hawke classic, I will add, from 1940, starring the always charming Cary Grant and the incredible Rosalind Russell. Yeah, I liked her. <laughs> so what it is, Cary Grant's character, um, Walter Burns, is a news- newspaper man. Mm-hmm. He's an editor and his ex-wife comes to tell him that she's about to get married and he does everything in his power to try and stop that marriage and to make her reconsider retiring from journalism. Yeah. Things happen, hilarity ensues, and we got a movie. Now, His Girl Friday is as near to perfection as you're going to get. It's famous because it has this kind of unbelievable when you're watching it quick dialogue um i remember reading somewhere i can't remember where it was but an average movie has 90 words per minute right this one definitely had a lot more averaged out of 240 being part of the the screwball comedy sort of time sort of from the late 30s to the early 40s that's where Cary grant made his his name and made his brand and it's 
kind of an experience to even watch it because how much they must have had to memorise all the takes. And again, it's not like modern films where you're cutting and you're cutting and you're cutting. They have long takes there Mm -hmm. and just how they sort of bounce off each other. And this is why I believe the film works so well that it does is because it's kind of wholly dependent on the chemistry between Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell. And they have some damn good chemistry. Yeah, they do bounce off each other really good. They look like they'd known each other for a very, very long time. Yeah, they look, they look like a married couple, but yeah. a married couple's like, you, you understand how they could love each other, but obviously you can they understand how they hate each other at the same time. Mm-hmm. And just how she give, gives just as good as she gets. And he's sort of always, he sort of enjoys that verbal fencing mm-hmm. that that happens. And... Yeah, I'm really interested to hear what you think because I couldn't read you after we watched it. And I know <laughs> That's because you... I was really tired. I was like, I love you. Um, it's time for me to take the face off and get into my pyjamas and go to sleep. <laughs> it was after 10 o'clock. It was. And after that time, I turned into a pumpkin and need to sleep. <laughs> so what did you think about His Girl Friday? Okay, I really liked the film. I thought the film was really good. Notes I made. Hildy has the jazziest hat. And matching coat. Yeah, the fashion was on point. It was great. Loved it. You could see straight away she was a woman of means. Absolutely great. Also, I'm a little bit in love. As well as as being in love with really posh English accents, I also love the traditional mid-Atlantic American accent that everybody from this era had. That, you know, Leonardo DiCaprio tried to do in Great Gatsby but failed. Yes. That accent, love it. Think it's great. I thought Cary Grant had a funny voice. Yeah, did you? Yeah. He actually reminded me a little bit of Tony Curtis in Some Like It Hot when he's trying to be the rich guy. Right, okay. Um, But now I think that Tony Curtis is probably trying to do an impression of Cary Grant. But whenever <laughs> I listened to Cary Grant, I was like, this is Tony Curtis taking the piss. And that is all I could think of. That and um, his mouth and his chin looked like a ventriloquist dummy. Kerry Grant is very famous for his chin and his chin dimple. But, like, the the way, like, his mouth moved, it just went, nah, 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 nah. Yeah. It looked like he had, like, a ventriloquist <laughs> dummy's mouth. Found that really distracting for quite a long time. Oh, yeah, I also made notes, why does everybody talk so fast? Yeah. So fast. It was... But the pace of the film is quite fast yeah. as well. So it matched in, and they're meant to be, like, newspaper men and they're always like trying to think 20 steps ahead of somebody yeah. and get a story. so it suited it if it was just a normal like uh relationship film then i'd be like oh my god just just shut up i can't remember reading something about it where they were saying like okay the, the person who's like we don't know actually if this is a stereotype of newspaper man mm-hmm. or was this the first one to do it and because it was so successful that everybody's just copied like it that. The other thing I really liked about it, like it was set in the 40s and she's talking about how she wants to get married and settle down and have a home. But everybody's constantly going on about, you're, such, you're so good at this, you're so good at this. Don't don't give it up. Like, And I really like the fact that nobody went, oh, you're so good at this, even though you're a woman. Yeah. Like the fact that she was a woman, that never came into it. 
um, it was always strictly she is amazing at her job. Nobody can write the way that she can. Nobody can get the story the way that she can. And I found that really good because a lot of the films from those times are still quite stereotypical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one I found just wasn't. They weren't going, oh, you're so, like, like, um, Cary Grant was going about how he loved her and everything. But he, most of the compliments that he gave her were about her talent. They yeah. weren't about how she looked. No, no. And so I liked that. So although he was a complete arse and I hated him throughout the whole of this because she just wanted to be happy. And I'm sorry, but that Bruce guy, yeah, a little bit vanilla, but he seemed like a nice guy. He, he obviously really cared for her. I think, yeah, I think part of the, she's trying to chase something because she wants something different, but yeah. you know straight away that she's not, she would not be happy out in the, she, this is her, this is her arena and she, she rules it. Cause when she goes into that news, like the press room and all the guys are there and you can just see like she runs that press room. Oh God, yeah, like, I get that. It was just a case of, you could, you could have let the poor guy down and be nicer. Well, you could true. have not stole his wallet. You could have not, Hired a prostitute to try and go and solicit him. But it's quite, it's quite a dark film as well. Because very dark. Because like when I'm talking about a film that gets me out of a bad mood, and the reasons why it will get me out of a bad mood, because I mean, there's a killer on the loose, a woman tries to commit suicide, um, and there's some like a guy sort of manipulating a relationship yeah. for his own for his own gain, not only. Not only personally, but for his profession. Yeah. So, yeah, Cary Grant is a bit of an amoral lead and you do hate him at times, but he's always charming with it and he's always sort of like... (laughs) (laughs) We're listening to a cat scratch a door right now. She might get through. Oh, my poor baby. (laughs) (laughs) If she comes through, then she wants to take part and all you'll get is like either a butt against a microphone or just purrs. Yeah. So, yeah, so... Um, Cary Grant is, is incredible, but why does it bring me out of a bad mood? Because even if you are in the worst of moods, if you put this on, the dialogue alone and you trying to understand and keep on top of everything that's being said, you forget about whatever you're mad about. I think that's nice. Because it's just it's constant. And the, the dialogue and the way things is being communicated to you is relentless in this movie. Oh, God, yeah. And you've always got to keep on your track. But what it also does as well, and what Hudson, um, sorry, Howard Hawks does really well, is he doesn't just rely on that. Because when you look at anything, the way he shoots it, there's always something going on in the scene. It's not just a face. It's not just one person. So, yes, you've got all this audio information coming through to you, but you are never bored by the the visual part of it. No. Um, but, yeah, and it's those two. I honestly can't think of a better chemistry no. between two people because it's... It's electric. It's absolutely electric. Like you could, you could see them together in real life. I'm, oh, I, I, definitely. I know they're playing characters and things like that, but oh, it's the way it's written. And to be honest, that's an interesting fact about the movie is it's adapted from a stage play called The Front Page. Mm-hmm. Now, the Rosalind Russell character in the play is actually a man. Oh. So it was Howard Hawke who had the idea of making it a woman. And then the the dynamic that you get from that and adding that romantic comedy element, I think elevates anything that you could get from just two men in that yeah. in that sort of relationship because you've got the he wants he loves his wife and he wants to get his wife back and also that 
he wants to keep his best reporter. Yes. I think it added a much better dynamic. And also, you could see if you've got two men, sometimes it may not work as much trying to get into different schemes and out of them. Whereas if you've got a member of each sex, then it might be easier because you've got somebody can get away with this, somebody can get away with that. Yeah. And it adds a whole different dynamic. Yeah, and also it's the influences that it's had on things. Like one of my favourite writers is Aaron Sorkin, like who wrote The West Wing, he wrote um, The Social Network. I mean, he's a brilliant TV writer. He wrote A Few Good Men, the, oh, yeah. the actual play and the movie, because it was originally a play. And Aaron Sorkin's writing is very quick. It's very sort of like verbose. Mm-hmm. And you can see the influences from His Girl Friday. Yes. And just how he structures a scene and how he tries to get the best out of his actors. Because it's very much an actory movie, this. Mm-hmm, and it's like, okay, let's get the two best people in the business to do, to do what they need to do, get them on screen and just let them let them go wild. Yeah. And that's what Howard Hawks really does well. And another thing... It's not only is this this nice, it's actually not a nice romantic comedy, it's quite biting, but it also has this message of showing you how horrific the press game is. Oh God, yeah. And how the the guys in that press room treat Molly when she comes. Yeah, I felt so sorry for her. It was awful. But But then again, look at this, this is made in 1940, it's 2019 now. And how they're treating that woman is the same way, like, bloggers. Yeah. And Instagram people treat people in the news where they don't understand the full story. Yeah, that's true. And it's, what, it's near 80 years <laughs> since it, and those things are still going on. Because it, when you have the scene where they're bo- all, all the press guys are sort of telling their story... And each one is just that bit different. And it's getting a bit yes. bit more and more outlandish. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, but people are saying this is news. And then, obviously, we're in the, we're in the era of fake news. Hashtag fake news. Hashtag fake news. And just where that comes from. And, yeah, it's quite relevant for a film of its age to be to watching it now. And this is, these are the sort of films that I wanted to start this podcast for. I got into this podcast just because I like watching films. (laughs) And because I've been told by people way too much that I talk way too much. Well, you do do talk a lot. Yeah, but so do you. True. That's why we started a podcast. (laughs) Because we should record ourselves. (laughs) We must like our own voices that much. (laughs) That's why we're just two narcissistic chatterboxes. And, oh, like, His Girl Friday is genuinely, and I mean genuinely, one of the best films ever made. And your grin is looking at me like, stop being hyperbolic, Jordan. <laughs> but it is it is near perfect perfection. It's incredible romantic comedy. It's an incredible sort of biting satire on the news. Mm-hmm. And it's got a script that is 191 pages long and it's a film that runs 92 minutes and you think a page generally a script page is one minute in film time and that's how quick this film moves and how you've got to try and keep on top of it it's snappy 
bombacious dialogue that you don't get today, and I wish you did, because the, the maturity of this movie and the fact is you can make a romantic comedy but also have all these different things, these different elements as part of it and not be so nice. Like, a romantic comedy nowadays is just a romantic comedy. That is the genre. Mm-hmm. Whereas back then, especially in that screwball era, you can do more than just be a romantic comedy. Now, should we move on to your movie? Yay! Let's go on to your friend Roger Rabbit. Firstly, we will have a break. Okay. You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do. We all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day-glow sentimentality? To try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context? Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you will will not find find that here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you will will not not find find that here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you will will not find find that here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. In each documentary-style episode, I look at one area of 1980s popular culture and break it right down. And each episode features academic insight, guest contributions and interviews, as well as clips plumbed from the depths of the 1980s cultural void. Well, YouTube, mainly YouTube. To help illustrate the wonderful, perplexing, terrifying, joyous and utterly thrilling world of 1980s pop culture. Beyond the Neon might not be as regular as other 1980s podcasts, but that's because Beyond the Neon isn't like other 1980s podcasts. Subscribe to the show today and check out all past episodes by visiting beyondtheneon.co.uk. Looks like they gave us the slip, huh, boss? Nah, Valiant's got him stashed somewhere. Uh-huh. Hold it right there. Hello, boys. I didn't hear you come in. Okay, wise guy. Where's the rabbit? I haven't seen him. What's in there? My lingerie. <laughs> See, Valiant. Search the place, boys. And leave no stone in turn. Look, Valiant, we got a reliable tip-off. The rabbit was here. And it was corrugated by several others. The cat dip. You keep talking like that and I'm going to have to wash your mouth out. So that was a clip from the 1988 film. Yeah, 88. It's nearly as old as we are. (laughs) Um, Film, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? So as Jordan said earlier, it's the Robert Zemeckis film. It has some absolute legends in it it has Bob Hoskins who is just great I love Bob Hoskins um it has Christopher Lloyd it has um Charles Fleischer who actually played he voiced Rod Rabbit 
um, Benny the Cab, Greasy, and he also did the Psycho voice at the end. Okay. And um, it's, it's got Stubby K in it as well as Marvin Acme. So, if you haven't seen it, where have you been for like the past 30 years? Is it Kathleen Turner as Jessica Roberts? Do you know what? I went on IMDb and like it was really hard to try and find, but I think it is. Because her voice is unbelievably sexy in this, but she is... That sex appeal of Kathleen Turner at that time is quite potent. Quite potent. Well, for anybody who hasn't seen the film, um, it's basically a um, private eye yeah. who hates tunes. This is in a world where your favourite tune, like Mickey Mouse, Goofy, they walk around and they can interact with you and I as as we normally would interact with each other. They have Toontown, which is part of Hollywood, and he just hates them. And you find out it's because a toon killed his brother. Yes. Um, and then he is hired to prove that Jessica Rabbit, Roger's wife, is cheating on him. And when he does that, it ends up in a murder and a, um, like a clicking, a clicking? A ticking clock. Um, to try and save Toontown. And what I like about this film is, for me, this is like my childhood film. Yeah. I remember watching it. I watch it now. I think, dear God, why did my parents let me watch this? Uh, some of the stuff is very raunchy. Some of the jokes are very blue. But it is rated PG. Yeah. But you look back on it now and you're like, hmm, maybe not. Maybe if you think it was made now, maybe a little bit higher. It would be definitely rated higher now. Definitely yeah. rated. Well, to be honest, it would be made now, so. But it's such a shame. But it's um, so it opens up in sort of a Looney Tunes sort of style cartoon. It's set in nineteen forty seven in Hollywood. So this is actually when LA, ha- LA and Hollywood had like the trolley car system, which a lot of the film is based around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the company, and it wasn't until um a few years later that they actually got rid of that. Um, so that was a big, a big part of the community and of the city of the time, but you see tunes from every like so many different films. I made like a little list of just a few. So there was the hippos from Fantasia, Bambi, Woody Woodpecker, Daffy Duck, Donald Duck, um, Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, Dumbo, Betty Boop, the penguins from Mary Poppins. Yes. Um, Brooms from Fantasia, Goofy, and the Crows from Dumbo. That was literally just a couple. I couldn't keep up with the amount of famous tunes that there were, as well as the ones that they've made for this film. And, and that's one of the reasons why it wouldn't get made today, because you would never... The amount of lawyer mumbo-jumbo oh, around the no. right... I, I still don't have a clue how they got around it, because it must have been years in the making of trying to get all the... The right issues sorted out. But also, if you know, you don't hear a lot of the famous ones speak. True, you hear Mickey and you hear Bugs. That's probably the two leading ones. You hear Mickey, you hear Bugs, you hear a little bit of Goofy, and you hear Daffy Duck. Mm. They're the main ones, but you only hear those guys speak. Out of, like, a lot of the other sort of big ones, you sort of sit there in the background, or their voices are blended in with, like, the cacophony of everybody else. Looking back on it as a kid, it was just amazing 
the fact that Bob Hoskins wandering around and he's interacting with all these cartoon characters, and I I think it's aged quite well. It, it, it's aged amazing. Because when you look at it, yes, they look fake, but they look fake because they're cartoons. It's not like they've put a robot in and they're trying to get the robot to move. Like you get in some of like the cheesy 80s films, which looked great then, but look horrific now. It's, it's ne- they're never going to seamlessly like lie flat on the film because they're a cartoon. They're, nev- they're, they're never going to do that. No, and that's it. And the, the fact is you've got the cartoons of the times because like we grew up in that era, yes. well, to be honest, for the last 30 years, like Looney Tunes, of Bugs Bunny, mm-hmm. of those 2D drawn style animation. Yes. Whereas everything is 3D now, so it doesn't work in the same sort of way. But this was... For the time, like sort of groundbreaking technology. Like we did have films that had real life actors on animation, but they didn't interact with each other as much. Like no. in this one, you've got them shaking hands, kissing, fighting. Again, for nineteen eighty eight, it's unbelievable what they were doing at the time because it, it it works. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the eye lines go a bit skewed, but. It was a different. It was a different Completely sort of time. Completely different. I think for how how they've done it, I think it's aged very very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, years ago, I watched like little bits of how they did it and things like when the water was being splashed, they sort of had little things under the water so that would like move it mm-hmm. and everything. And um, they had lots of things on wires to help move things. All. Very, very hands-on because they didn't really have the green screen sort of technology to be able to do it. So it was all the proper traditional how you make these special effects. And I think that's why it's lasted so well. Because a lot of the special effects have to be manually done, there's not many that look really fake. I feel like the one that looks the worst is... um, towards the end when Judge Doom has been rolled over and he starts getting back up again. That's the one that hasn't aged. Of the whole thing, mm. and that's because that is obviously some sort of the film that's separately and then had to put that's, that, that in. That's a 3D animation part of it. Yeah, but then when you then have a close-up of his flat hand um, pumping the gas back into him and his feet filling out, that is a physical thing. Yeah. And it looks great. It's absolutely terrifying to a child, but it looks great. Um, the other thing, as I'm watching, as I'm older, you see a lot of, it talks a lot about depression and grief and cope, uh, bad coping mechanisms. Um, so Bob Hoskins' character, like I said, has lost his brother, um, who is his partner um, in their private eye business. And he's just, he's turned to drink. He hasn't got any money. He's borrowing money off his girlfriend. Um, he's taking shady jobs to try and pay the bills. And he's he's not looking after himself anymore. And towards the end, you see him going, actually, no, I don't need drink to do this. He's happier. He's working through things. He's confronting things about himself. And you don't see that as a kid, but as you get older, you realise, actually, this is another story about a guy actually finding purpose within himself. Yeah. Which yeah. I love. I love that. I love that grown-ups can watch it and see it as being 
okay, he's lost something. And yeah, he's gone the wrong way about trying to cope with it. But it's like a redemption for him. And it's, it's, I mean, it's an obvious metaphor in it where you've got the idea of stereotyping mm-hmm. and of hating an entire, let's call the cartoon, races. Yeah. Because of one, actions of one of them. Yes. Um, but would you like to know what I think about Rod, who framed Rod, Roger Rabbit? Yes. The one element that I love about this film is the fact that it shouldn't work. But it does so well. You've got this 1940s-style hard-boiled noir movie (laughs) with colourful cartoons. And yeah, it shouldn't work, but it works so well. And that's because of Bob Hoskins. I love Bob Hoskins. I love him bringing that London grittiness to to LA. I love it. But it's such a weird casting choice. I mean, especially at the time, because he was the hard man. Yeah. And to bring him into this film where... (laughs) For kids. For kids, and to be so big. Mm -hmm. Because if you look at the movies, like he was doing Long Good Friday and things like that. Yeah, he was the hard man, but... He's able to get laughs in this, but also he plays it very straight. He does. And that's why I kind of think it works, because it was too wacky. If the real characters were too wacky, like the cartoons, then I think the blend will be completely off. Mm-hmm. And I think it might just go a little bit off the tracks. But you're always grounded because of that Bob Hoskins character. Yeah, he's he's reacting to things like, when, when Roger's hiding, I always found it so infuriating. He's like, shut up. Up. Yeah. You are going to die. You're going to get the people around you killed or going to prison. And he can't shut up. And you just see Bob Hoskins going, what are you doing? I'm literally risking my life to save you. And you cannot shut your mouth for five minutes. And as a child, I was like... Stress. I Yeah. Anxiety through the roof. Stressed. Even now, I just feel like, punch him. Shut him up. But that, to me, is how an actual person would react to it. A a person would be like, what are you doing? I'm sticking my neck out on the line here for you. And you're making wise-ass jokes and wanting to perform. And another thing also is the fact that not only do you have Bob Hoskins, especially for the, the start of the film, playing it straight, but it's actually quite a good noir detective story. Like... The mystery that's been that's going on at mm-hmm. the time is interesting. It is. And it's not just made for laughs. No, it's got a proper story and that's behind a, it. The fact that they, they, they got the story right first and then added the fun and the jokes. Mm-hmm. And I, I think as also it's quite fitting that you chose this film now is because Richard Williams, the animator, actually died on the 16th. Yeah. So... It's like somebody who did so much, and I mean, especially in this film, like how the technology behind still baffles me how they did it at the time. Yeah, like they didn't. The thing that I watched years ago didn't even go into half of it. And it's, you talk about how good Bob Hoskins' performance is because what he was reacting against for some of the movie is like there's there's nothing there, but you still get ah, the performance. Ah. Now, I actually, when I was doing my research for this, I actually found out that um, Charles Fleischer, who voiced Roger, actually got 
um, the studio to make him a full Roger Rabbit costume. Right. And he delivered most of his lines on set with Bob Hoskins. Right. Because that's why sometimes he's looking at the wrong ah, okay, bit. Yeah. He's looking at actual um, um, Fleischer. Yeah. And he did that because he was like, well, I've got to react to what he's seeing or what he's doing. And Bob's got to react to something. If there's nothing there, how is he supposed to act how you would normally act because it is normally bouncing in the chemistry between two people so that's what he did to ensure that it got the best um response and the best um acting out of both of them and i just think that's great but he did say in the interview that he thought that bob hoskins thought he was bat crap crazy (laughs) for the first couple of weeks when this this grown man bouncing around in a rabbit costume on set with a silly voice but then you see the end result and go, okay, yeah, actually it's really worked because Bob Hoskins has had something to bounce lines off and to look at and to react to. Hmm. It's like sometimes you see things... Oh, one that I I can think of is um, Harry Potter. Yeah. For things like when they had some of the mythical beasts, it was just a tennis ball on a stick. It's like, look at the tennis ball, react to the tennis ball. Um... Yes, I know the kids weren't professional actors, but trying to react to a green tennis ball on a stick. Come on, at least give the bloody thing a mask. Do they still do it to this day? It's still tennis balls. And I just think that must be really hard. It's like this huge mythical beast or this scary person and you're looking at them just going, oh yeah, you're really scary. You could boot me on the head real hard there. It must be hard oh, absolutely. to react. So I think that I, I love that little fact that he actually... Did that. Um, the other thing was, um, I need to talk about Judge Doom. We can talk about Mr. Christopher Lloyd. I don't know what age I saw first saw this film, but apart from the standard Disney, this must have been very early on. I have a feeling one of my uncles probably showed me this film. Because <laughs> it's the kind of thing they would have just gone, yeah, let's watch it, fine. It's cartoons. <laughs> it's cartoons, it's just nightmares. It should be fine. Um... But Judge Doom is terrifying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the thing is, though, Christopher Lloyd, through most of it, he doesn't... His appearance, his face isn't scary or anything. It's He's just got a normal face. He's dressed all in black. He's got a hat on. But his... How he holds himself... His presence. His whole presence is just one of power. But not of, like, good power. It's one of... I will destroy you if you get in my way kind of power. And his teeth. Yes. His teeth are creepily white. They're also the kind of teeth that everybody in Hollywood now has. But he's got them in this film and they're too white. They're like white, white. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, that's it. They're just white, white. But now that I'm older and I was looking at this through like our eyes, trying to think of things I could say over the podcast... It then now makes me think of, were they like that on purpose to sort of yeah. go towards the fact that who he actually was? Most possibly. And, and yeah, one of the aspects that I think make, make him creepier is the fact that he is dressed in that cloak and he has those glasses and he's sort of dressed as in the stereotypical Gestapo. Yes, he is. She has that Nazi presence as well. Yeah, and like steampunk glasses that sort of protect his eyes yeah. from every bit. Um, other little bits that I noticed was when he gets 
hit in the face by something or he no he he falls over towards the end he then does clutch his face and clutches his eye which I never noticed before and then I noticed it this time and I was like okay I now know why he's done that yeah to hide his real identity and little things like that just sort of come back and I find them really interesting um dip is a real thing right actually what they use to destroy old animation cells. Some cells. Yes. Right. But what I found really funny was the fact that it has acetone in it and they have it heated because when you go get your nails done, you put your hand <laughs> in, like, when you're getting your acrylics done and you have to get them taken off, you put your hand into, like, acetone. They always make it warm because then it works better. Ah. Don't know why, but they do that. And I was like, oh, it's like getting your nails done. <laughs> and I think actually a similarity between the two movies, um, and it's very loose similarity, but <laughs> it's the fact that there is so many gags in it, and there's so many gags within His Girl Friday that it's impossible to get oh, them yeah, all. You can't. Like there is not only the, the the verbal gags, the one-liners, but stuff that's happening within a scene. I mean, you have this whole sort of famous stories behind this movie of the animators were in dispute with the studio and sort of mm-hmm. what they've added in there and you've got the shot up of the skirt of Jessica Rabbit. Yes. But what I quite like about it also is you we open up on this cartoon of Roger Rabbit and, and the child and that's a decent cartoon. It is. It's a good cartoon. Also, world's biggest kitchen. Yes. Huge kitchen. <laughs> Do you have anything else? Um, We haven't discussed Jessica. Yes. Which I think everybody, man or woman... Loves Jessica Rabbit. She is. She's beautiful. She is very clever. And I just loved her. I was just like, she's so pretty. Why is she so pretty? (laughs) But then for like, I remember watching it being younger and then you go through a period of your life where you then don't watch the films when you're younger. And I remember saying to people, have you seen this film? And it's got... It's like got a rabbit in, but it's got this really glamorous woman. And they'll be like, you, what What kind of cartoons were you watching? Like, it's not a cartoon, it's a film, but it's got cartoons in it and people and a sexual woman in it. And they were just like... It's, it's playing on that whole femme fatale of the 40s time. Yes. And you've got your Barbara Stanwyck's and again, you've sexy but deviant at the mm-hmm. same time but also especially when you get the deviants at the start then you find out that it was actually all through love for Roger and things but it's the whole she's not bad she's just drawn, drawn that, that way, way. Yes. which I just think is a great line it is because it's the whole you shouldn't just judge me for how I look because yeah. I've not had any choice in this so but her actual character is a good character Absolutely. inside um, so I do have some good Facts. Cool. That I found. So the first off, this film actually won three Oscars. It was nominated for a bunch of others. It won another 21 awards, but three of them, three of these were Oscars. And they got one for best film editing, best sound effects, and best visual effects. Yes. Which would just be obvious. At the time, it was the most expensive movie ever made, in which it cost $70 million. And it actually held this position... Until 1991. Terminator 2. Terminator 2 came out and that topped it. Yeah. But I think it lasted like a good long time for something mm. that was basically, a, which is was a PG film. Yeah. Absolutely good. Another reason why Judge Doom was really creepy 
And Christopher Lloyd made a conscious decision to not blink at all whenever he was being filmed, which I was thinking about going, wow, that's really weird. But then you realise his character's wearing fake eyes, so he wouldn't need to blink. It's, you use quite, I mean, I know, I mean, this is before actually the film I want to talk about, but it's like Anthony Hopkins is kind of a lector, mm-hmm. doesn't blink. No, but it's, and I think because he's got glasses on, you don't notice it as much. But mm. now, if you think back, you're like, actually, yeah, he's just got this creepy, penetrating stare. Um, Jessica was modelled on Lauren Bacall, who I love. Yeah. Um, Rita Hayworth and Veronica Lake. Yeah. So she's a nice little mixture. And finally, Lloyd wasn't actually the first choice for Judge Doom. Right. There was several others. The first one was Tim Curry. They deemed him too scary. Probably. But, but he would have been a good... He would have been good, but then he would have been in, like, so many of my favourite films. It would be like, oh, look, he's as Dr. Frankenfurt and he's as Judge Doom. Brilliant. Um, then they also thought about John Cleese. Okay. But he was deemed not scary enough. <laughs> And then they also offered the part to Christopher Lee, but he turned it down. But I just, I just love, I just absolutely love Christopher Lloyd. And to me, he's just perfect. He is. He's one of those things. He's one of those um, choices that sort of get put on you, but you can't think of anybody else. It's like um, Harrison Ford is Han Solo. Yes. He wasn't meant to be Han Solo. Um, Also, he wasn't meant to be Indiana Jones either. (laughs) So his two most iconic roles weren't actually supposed to be for him. Han Solo, he only was in there because he'd worked on American Graffiti with George Lucas, mm-hmm. and he was part of. He was reading. He was, he was reading different parts for people to act off of in auditions, and I mean the famous story is that um, Tom Selleck was supposed to be Indiana Jones, and he had to turn it down because he was doing Magnum PI. So, because you know that's so much better. Yeah, he had a contract. Um. But yeah, some of those casting choices and, and those famous parts, it's luck that the, the people get them, but you can't think of anybody else within those roles. So I just wanted to finish off yeah. saying this film gets me out of a bad slump simply just because it appeals so much to my inner child and to me as an adult. I was going to say my inner adult, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm supposed to be one anyways. Um, supposed to be supposed to be Uh, it's everything about it I love and every time I watch it I think of little me watching it and loving it and then I also think about when I'm when we're older and we have kids and we're like we're gonna sit down and we're gonna watch this film it's gonna be something that I can't wait to show people and I really hope that if anybody hasn't watched it they actually watch it and they go this is really good but nobody should have let Lauren watch it when she was like five. <laughs> Spot on. Is there anything else that you want to add or? No, we were just going to see what we we're going to do for next week. So um, next week we are going to do sing-along songs. Yes. So those, those movies that you love to sing along to. Yes. <laughs> it should be great hopefully but... musicals because otherwise it probably wouldn't work <laughs> well I was going to pick Jaws so... <laughs> like you would watch Jaws <laughs> yeah I really wouldn't watch Jaws it looks too scary 
<laughs> so yeah, we're doing our sing-along movies next week. So if you want to get in contact with us uh, on our social media and let us know what some of your favourite sing-along musicals are, you can do that either through our email at hfhmpodcast at gmail.com on yeah. Twitter, on at his film, her movie. Yeah, or you can go to our Instagram page, which I do try and keep updated as much as possible, um, which is His Film, Her Movie Podcast. Yes. And we've also got our Facebook page, which is still HFHM underscore podcast. Yeah. You can get in touch with us any way you want. Have a listen. Um, if you're on pop Apple Podcasts, pop on there, give us a five-star review because it's the easiest way to do it. And write a little write a little something. Yeah. But we would just ask you to write your favourite film, yeah. your worst film, or if you want to join in for next week, say what your sing-along film would be. Absolutely, absolutely. So okay. we will be back next week with a new episode next Thursday. And yeah, stay safe. You nerd.